Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Happy New Year. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is the first episode of 2021. This is episode 176. We made it. Made it out of 2020. Fresh start. Hope you're all well, refreshed, and re-energized, ready to tackle the new year. Whether that means spending more time with family and friends, or starting a business, dropping a couple pounds, or hey, maybe even a couple strokes off your handicap, let's accomplish some goals this year. I have many on my list to check off. I hope you do as well. If you're following along on Instagram, the Back of the Range Golf Podcast is the handle, you might have seen that I have been posting my top 10 memories from 2020. On New Year's Eve, I sat down and thought about all the amazing episodes and experiences. It was a challenge to get it down to 10, but I've posted almost the entire list, so you'll need to check that out on Instagram and Facebook. Let me know what you think of my list. They're not really in order. Well, maybe towards the top they are, but go check it out. Leave me a comment or shoot me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com. Let me know if I got it right. I think I did, but let me know what you think of 2020 and everything that occurred at the back of the range. The other thing that I did on New Year's Eve was post a picture of one of my trucker hats and a glass of bourbon. It was my last drink of 2020. I'm doing dry January, like many of you might be doing as well. Is this a cry for help? No, no, it's not. Is it a reminder that I have trucker hats available for sale? Maybe. Yeah. Well, yes, it is. But I was sitting at 175 episodes on December 31st. I had just posted the recent Cole Hammer episode. That was 175. And I thought, what would a crazy goal for 2021 be? Well, I posted 66 episodes in 2020, so 175 plus another 75 is 250. Sure, that sounded great after, you know, a couple cocktails. So I posted on Instagram that episode 250 would post on December 31st, 2021. Then I woke up the next day and saw what I did. You ever wake up the next day after a couple drinks and realize you might have made a crazy or odd decision the night before? Don't answer that. Anyway, I am going to go for it. 75 episodes in 2021. So that means lots of episodes, lots of guests, amateurs, professionals, media personalities. Going to be a lot of episodes this year. So make sure you are following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I say it all the time, but the website is thebackoftherange.com. That's where you can get everything and the merch. T-shirts, hats, towels, face masks, it's all there. So let's get started. My guest on this episode is Chris Goderup. You know, for those of you that might think that I know each and every prominent amateur in the country, well, there are some that I had not met yet. Some that maybe don't play at, you know, Oklahoma State or Texas or Alabama. Well, Chris Goderup was one of those guys, but not anymore. I was able to spend time with him at the USAM, Merido, South Beach, Chris is a Jersey native and chose to stay home and play for Rutgers. Good decision by Chris and a great get for Rutgers. He's the reigning Big Ten Conference Player of the Year, and that came after a dominant 2019 where he won the New Jersey State Open and the Met Amateur Championship. What I like about Chris 
is not the joggers that he wears. No, I, I don't like that. But I do like the fact that he's rough around the edges. He's gritty. He loves playing in bad weather. He doesn't care what it looks like. He just cares about winning. So, Chris, thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. Thanks for being the first episode of the new year. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Finally, I've been been seeing you a lot this year. Saw you at the USAM. Saw you at uh, Merido. We have to talk about the frozen tundra of Merido Golf Club at some point. But um, before we get into all things about your uh, collegiate career and and your your time at Rutgers, um, we're around the holidays. We're kind of in between Christmas and New Year's. So let's uh, let's get an update. What does what does Chris Goddard do for the holidays? And uh, tell me what your plans are for New Year's Eve. Um, definitely doesn't do much. I've been, I'm trying to take some time off and, you know, just hang out with the family, sit down and crank out some Netflix episodes and, uh, you know, hang out with friends that we have been playing a ton of paddle tennis, uh, been crushing that every night. But, um, other, other than that, it's, uh, it's about as low key as it gets. All right. So let's, let's hit on these two topics here. Cause I always need to know what, what is the best thing to listen to or to watch on Netflix. Um, most of my time is spent uh, putting this podcast together. So uh, tell me, what do I need to be watching on Netflix right now? And uh, and then bake in also the keys to a successful uh, uh, paddle tennis match. Like what are, what are the keys to victory there? And, and what are you watching on Netflix right now? So I've actually gotten big into Formula One. Um, and I've been watching like the Formula One, like I think it's like power to drive or something, reasons to drive or something like that. And it's basically just about like all the drama that unfolds throughout like the year in Formula One, and it's pretty electric. Sure. Um, and then I've been crushing The Punisher too. I don't know if you if you've watched that. <laughs> uh, I'm. I, it's it's next up. It's next up. I. It, it. That's the next thing I need to watch. It's uh, it's my favorite. It gets the. I'm just not that I'm doing much, but it gets my blood going on the couch, watching <laughs> him just beat the, beat the crap out of people. Nice. Nice. Um. All right, so I, I, I kind of, you know, kind of lured you into uh, just speaking quite a bit at the beginning of this episode so people aren't listening to my voice because they know what I sound like. Wanted them to listen to your voice a little bit and see if they could possibly decipher and pick up any sort of an accent. Um, you are a native of the, the great garden state of New Jersey, so um, I'm hoping people have picked that up by now, but if you haven't, you'll, you'll get more of his accent as we roll through this episode. But, um, we kind of like to hit upon where, uh, where people get their start in the game. So talk to me a little bit about uh, New Jersey, how you got started, where you grew up. Um, tell me how you got into golf. All right. So obviously New Jersey through and through, um, I've grown up, grown up in Rumson, uh, which is Monmouth County, kind of Jersey shore area. Um, so I've been by the beach my whole life and uh, we play, me and my family play at Rumson Country Club and my dad has been, my dad's pretty good. He's like a scratch handicap. So he got me into it. Um, and then ever since then, I've been playing, I'm 21 now, I've been playing for who knows how many years, but uh, you know, it's been fun, you know, c- coming up, growing up and playing against my dad and now beating my dad. And then my brother's gotten into it. He went from a 10 to a 1.5 this past summer. So Wow. It's, it's, we've, the whole family gets competitive now and uh you know they it's we have some good family matches so getting into golf uh, you know i have friends uh you know friends in the jersey area and uh, you know it doesn't seem that golf is the 
focus or the year-round sport that it is maybe in Texas or in Florida or maybe out in the desert. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, I'm guessing you played all sorts of sports growing up, didn't you? Yeah, I, golf and I mean, I play golf only now, but it's not like a year round focus, which I like. I played coming up into high school. I played lacrosse. I played basketball. I played I played pretty much everything. But lacrosse was my main my main sport up until I had to drop it because of golf. But um, I loved it. it. I had a couple of concussions, which also made me drop out of that. But um, okay. But I, I loved it. It's just, you know, you just go full throttle, ripping the crossballs at the net. I played attack, so it's it probably helped me with golf, to be honest. Just, you know, you're going full throttle, ripping the crossball. It probably helped me pick up some distance and whatnot in, uh, in golf. So I, I enjoyed my time, and I wish I could have played a little longer, but it was fun while it lasted. Well, I think you have a, a better future in store uh, on the golf course than, uh, than playing lacrosse. That looks like, uh, well, it looks kind of a, it's kind of a crazy game since there's very little padding and that ball just, I'm guessing you can catch one of those in the head pretty quick. And uh, yeah, it doesn't feel great. Yeah. I can imagine. So, um, well, I, I'm, you know, obviously you're having this great career at Rutgers and uh, you know, big 10 player of the year, all big 10 recognition, you know, through and through and just really leading Rutgers. But uh, you know, I love when we can kind of dive into how you decided to go to, or how any collegiate player decides to go to the college of their choice, because there's so many factors that fall into it, whether it's, okay, do I like the coach? Do I like the university? Am I going to be able to play? Um, you know, whether, uh, you know, do I want to be around home? Do I want to, you know, uh, you know, kind of venture out. So um, talk to me a little bit about maybe the process of you figuring out where you wanted to play your collegiate golf. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's pretty easy. It was very easy decision back then. Um, you know, I was probably not under recruited, but I wasn't very like highly recruited out of high school. I played New Jersey stuff, and that was about it. Like we have a really good Met section, uh, the MGA. Yeah, and so I played in all that stuff, the New Jersey State stuff. Um, but I I really didn't like the AJGA, and like it just wasn't my thing. Um, so I only got recruited by local schools. So it was like Loyola, Maryland, and Rutgers, and um, it was, I mean, between those two schools, it was so easy for me to pick the big 10 school with being close to home. And, uh, it just had everything I could possibly want, um, representing home and New Jersey and then, uh, you know, getting to play right away and, you know, showing what I, showing what I got on the national scale. So when you, I mean, obviously people are, they're going to understand what the weather's like in Jersey or anything in the Northeast. You do not have the, the luxury of, you know, you know, hitting balls year round in 70 degree weather and having perfect conditions. You know, I've spoken to several players from the Northeast, um, you know, whether you know, recent players or, or mid-ams that, you know, went to college in, in that area. And they would just basically tell me not horror stories, but you gotta, I mean, you have some pretty tough conditions when you're trying to, you know, work on your game and compete against players that are, you know, at a Pepperdine or a Florida or a Texas so how do you get your game in order to go compete on the national level when your practice, not, not to say your facilities, but just the, the dynamic of the weather, uh, that's, that's adversely affecting your ability to compete, I would think. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting because I like, there's part of me that likes, um, you know, the cold and, uh, you know, having that like two, three months off kind of from tournament golf. But obviously yeah. now that 
there's a couple of big events that happen during that time span. It's kind of tough to really shut it down for the winter. But, you know, I like I like being able to just, you know, put the clubs in the closet for a little bit and hit the gym and, you know, play all these other different things that I don't necessarily get to do during, you know, a normal college season or whatnot. But, um, you know, I, I think it I think it's helpful because whenever we get to, you know, let's say Ohio State's event and it's 40 degrees and windy and whatnot you know we, i've grown up playing in that for who knows how long so i you know a little smile comes on my face when i walk it out of the van and uh you know it couldn't be more shitty outside with the weather and whatnot so <laughs> so and like you mentioned merida earlier i mean that that was you know perfect for me ideal conditions and uh i kind of like that a little bit so for people listening that deal that are you know anyone that's going to be trying to play any sort of golf whether they're you know playing at a high level or just kind of getting a game with friends, you know, at their home club, um, you know, we're not exactly heading into the best of months weather-wise throughout the country. So, you know, let's, let's take advantage of your expertise in playing in, in shitty conditions, as you said, what do you do to get the most out of your game when the conditions are, are not exactly ideal? I think it's just, it's, I mean, a lot of it's mental. It's just, you know, you gotta be able to handle the cold, uh, so one of my things actually is when it's, so it's whatever, 30 degrees out right now at home, I drive, I, this is my, I drive with the windows down at all times. Okay. So I'm just constantly, you know, you know, it, getting ready for the cold and the wind and whatnot. So that's my, that's my thing that prepares me for when I hop on the course and deal with the cold, the cold weather and the wind, but I, it's just, you know, you got to play smart, um, pars are a lot more valuable when it's 30 degrees rather than lighten up a golf course. So I think it's just being able to handle, handle the cold and um, just being able to change your, uh, your the way you attack the course and, you know, a little safer, but um, equally as, you know, equally as effective based on how the weather is going to result in scores. So if you have a smile on your face, when you see the weather um, kind of turning to shit, um, I'm guessing you even have a bigger smile on your face when you're seeing your playing competitors and either a, they're not dressed appropriately for the conditions, or you can just, you can just see their frustration. Can you think back to a time, whether it's either match play or metal or, or any type of a tournament where you see someone rolling up and you pretty much realize, Oh, I got this guy. He's not even prepared for this. He didn't know what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, there's, we we i mean even merida's the most recent like we pulled up me and my buddy who was catting for me we pulled up we were like 11 something tea time we pulled up and two kids were walking to their cars called it quits after after nine so i was like oh this is this is perfect <laughs> okay um but uh you know there's no real like i just think i just like you know i like the challenge of match play and i think it's i think it's much more enjoyable than stroke play because it's just one v one and you know everything that's happening and uh especially when it's cold, you see kids with whether with the mittens on or whatever, and they're just struggling to, you know, find their rhythm in the cold. And we're just me and my buddy out there having a good time. Whoever's we're just, you know, going with the rolling with the punches and see what happens. What is the coldest weather you've ever played in? Uh, Ohio state, probably my sophomore year, it was like 35, maybe 40 and just pouring rain the whole time. Um, it, it wasn't that cold temperature wise, but like my body was shutting down as each hole progressed. Yeah. So when you go down and play uh, in, in 
you know, really cooler or I'm sorry, uh, warmer temperatures. Do you find it hard to adjust when you go to events like that? Or is it pretty much almost like a vacation for you? Yeah, it's tough to, it's, it's both. It's a vacation getting, getting some sun in, but it's also tough to adjust, especially coming from hidden inside and, um, you know, the ball just goes a little further, different grass. Um, that's the toughest thing is the, the chipping around the greens and stuff, short game with all the different types of grasses and stuff. Cause we're used to bent, just straight bent grass up sure. here. And it's, it's my favorite to play on cause it's so perfect, but you know, you get the kind of tough little scrappy Bermuda grass and it kind of throws you for a loop every once in a while. Oh yeah. Yeah. As a Floridian, I'm used to Bermuda. So whenever I come up to, to your neck of the woods and, um, Gosh, I remember playing up in Illinois and and just you know greenside chip shots. I just could not figure it out because you pretty much hack it out with Bermuda and it comes out nice and soft. And I yeah, so that's definitely a challenge trying to get used to that. Um, all right, so let's let me kind of dive into something that I noticed with with one of your um, one of your social media posts, which I thought was really interesting. And and you know we don't talk about politics on this podcast, but we we can't avoid this pretty incredible photo I see of you and John Daly and President Trump. And you don't normally see that quite often uh, on online. And I'm guessing this was at uh, Trump Bedminster after you won the New Jersey State Open. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a couple months after. Um, I was just hanging around. I was playing with uh, one of the members there in some whatever tournament. And uh, and he happened to be there and... Uh, it was it was pretty funny. It, I mean, it was one of the craziest moments. You know, you, you usually meet people and it's just kind of whatever. But like, right. I've never your heart. My heart was like, it's it doesn't it didn't seem real at the time, um, especially with throwing daily in there too. Oh gosh, those uh, those two. I mean, that's a reality show waiting to happen right there. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's just insane. Whenever so, I've been to Bedminster a bunch, but whenever Trump's there. It's like you would think you're in a war zone. I mean, there's people everywhere, snipers everywhere. You're getting patted down everywhere. Um, so I, I had to go through like a five-minute security brief before I even got to shake his hand. Um, wow. But it's, uh, it's, it was awesome. He couldn't have been nicer. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the course and the tournament, and uh, it, was just, it was just so cool. So was Daly as well behaved as he looked in that picture or was he, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of wondering who, if I wanted to spend the day with someone and I'm not going to make you choose, but I don't, that's a real tough one. I think, I mean, for just like the fun value, like I, I'm almost thinking I'd rather hang out with Daly. Between the two of them. Yeah. It's a, t- I don't know. It's, it's tough daily. I feel like Daly's way more public. I feel like Trump, you know, there's, he after meeting him i think it'd be hard to turn down trump sure but um yeah i mean daily's just a wild card so it (laughs) it would be it it would be a ton of fun to either one of them would be one of the greatest days ever but um yeah he he you know he was slugging his diet coke or whatever it was Uh had his whole outfit going it was uh it was pretty cool who on your team, who on the Rutgers team would most closely resemble, just not just in looks, I'm talking about more like personality, who on your Rutgers team, this is a good chance for you to throw someone under the bus, but who would yeah. most closely resemble John Daly? Uh, 
it's got to be Hanson, uh, Brendan Hanson, right. who actually was my high school teammate as well and now college teammate. All right. Now, give me a little backstory. Why does Hanson uh, kind of fall into fall into line with Daly? I mean, is it is it? He's got the body type for it. That's number one. Um, <laughs> number two is he's got the most wild swing you've ever seen in your life. Uh, people ask if he's like joking when he hits the ball, because um, just because it looks it looks insane, but it it works. Um, and he's you know he's he's just a clown, and we me and him have gotten along for you know however many years, so we have a good time together. And he he uh, he's he's probably the closest one that gets gets the daily not sure so you're talking about body types perfect segue into this part of our conversation so you know as i like to do i like to do a little bit of research and get a little bit prepared for um for for my episodes and my guests um i'm looking at you know the rutgers uh website and seeing a rutgers golf page on the on the website and seeing you know the different accomplishments you had a great 2019 season and you know all american and you know, as, as the universities like to do, they like to post a little profile picture and there's, you know, there's your senior picture and there's your junior picture. I'm like, yeah, that, that looks like the guy I saw at Merido and the guy I saw at South beach. And then we get back to the freshman picture and <laughs> that kid looks puffy. Um, I guess that's the best des- description there, but that kid looks like, um, he likes pizza and, and, and yeah, he loved Oreos. And there you go. Yeah. So that, everything, everything you could imagine. So peanut butter, Nutella and all the, the whole nine yards. Okay. So that kid isn't exactly the one that, uh, is, is currently ranked 20th in the PGA tour U rankings. He's not the one that is the, you know, reigning med amateur, uh, you know, or, or a former med amateur and, and New Jersey state open champion. So obviously something happened fitness wise, something happened diet wise. And Hey, whether you play golf in college or not, you know, a lot of, you know, the freshman 15 is a real thing. So when did you either figure it out or someone pointed out to you that, Hey, if you really want to make some, you know, make, make some uh, progress, we're going to need to get a couple things figured out. And, and one of them seems to be your fitness. So when did that start to kind of hit home? Um, I would say probably my so- going into my sophomore year, somewhere around my sophomore year, like, you know, I was probably pushing in that picture. I was probably pushing 250, honestly. Um, and you know, I, it was, I never really cared. Um, like it was just kind of like, you know, all my friends from home are all, we're all like, you know, a bunch of clowns and stuff. So I never really had anyone that was like, you know, pushing me or whatever besides like my family and coaches and stuff. But, uh, like I, I, once I started playing, like once I got a whole year under my belt, I realized like, oh, I should probably, you know, if I'm going to do this thing, I got to make some changes. Um, and so my sophomore end of, I probably went in like 250 my sophomore year. And I, I by the time I finished my sophomore year, I think I was like 205, 200. So, wow. um, yeah, I, I lost, I lost a lot of weight and it, you know, the results started to come. I, I finished like top 15 in all the spring events. So there was definitely a nice uh, correlation. And now, now I'm back up a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I, I love going to the gym and just throwing weights around and, uh, it's, it's a nice stress reliever from all the other stuff that, you know, we deal with. Well, and I'm also guessing just not only, you know, dropping the weight and getting in, in a better shape, but I'm guessing also it's allowing you to have better endurance where, you know, obviously you're, you're carrying your bag when you're playing collegiate events and amateur events, 
unless you have someone looping for you. But I'm guessing, I mean, the benefits just have to be all over the place, whether it's stamina on the golf course or strength or added distance or just all around health. You're probably thinking to yourself, I should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was, it was probably a long time coming and, you know, I can't, I still can't run it to save my life. If I ran a mile <laughs> right now, I'd, I'd probably die. Um, but you know, I do a lot of like weighted vests. I go for hikes with weighted vests. So that's, I mean, it's basically walking with a golf bag on your shoulders at all times. So, um, all that stuff's been super helpful. And, you know, those 36 whole days when you're playing college, you, you, you basically are dying the last nine holes. So it's been super helpful with that. And, uh, it's just been overall very, even off the course, just feeling better. And, you know, it, it's, it's been a huge change. That's been very beneficial for me. Yeah. And you're pulling chicks now because you between dropping 50 pounds on the, yeah, that kid, that kid freshman year didn't, uh, didn't do too well. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. One of the previous episodes was uh Julian Perico and, and, uh, yeah, he was talking about that too. Where he he's not he's having a tough time. Also, I feel I, I can't believe you guys are all coming on here looking for help. I don't know why you're asking me for advice. I can't help you. But um, <laughs> so so what is um, you know obviously with COVID the the lockdown so to speak you know campus life is not at all what it used to be. What has been probably the most frustrating part of of COVID for you? I mean, obviously you have your health and and that's the most important thing, but. What has been the most frustrating part of your collegiate existence without, you know, during COVID? You know, obviously not being able to play is tough. Um, hopefully we'll be good for the spring. I think we are. But um, I think it's just tough. Like, you know, you're not even going to class. You're doing all this stuff and probably not even, I mean, probably not even learning anything, just doing it on my computer. But um just not being able to see like people who I normally see. And I'm, you know, not that I, like I love all the guys on the team, but you know, when you're around them for three straight months and you don't see anyone else, it drives you a little crazy. Sure. Uh, everyone starts to hate each other a little bit, but <laughs> you know, my buddy, like, I have a couple of buddies on the football team and not even be able to like, you know, just go say hi to them. And everyone's kind of on, on eggshells a little bit. It's uh, it's just, it's just weird. Yeah. I think that's kind of uh that's, that's pretty consistent with just about everyone right now where just the net, the normal day to day things you just can't really do anymore. Um, yeah, and usually, usually at school, you know, you're walking, you walk to class, you see 2,000 people at least. Just and it's just nice to see people. And now there's just no one. So you are heading into your senior season, basically. Um, is it one more semester, or what have you have you decided to stay another year, or do you really know what your plans are right now as far as for the next year? Um, as of right now, I'm just doing the spring, and we'll see what happens after that. Um, I'm definitely open to the fifth year, but it's hard to say with all this, you know, all the ranking stuff going on and whatnot to make a decision right now would be kind of dumb, I think. But yeah, um, so I'm just going to hang on and see see what happens. Well, and and with PGA Tour U, like I said earlier, you're ranked uh, you're ranked 20th, and that's I mean, you know, when that thing came out, obviously it's the the guys at the top five that are going to be getting a corn fairy, uh, you know, corn fairy card. But also, there's 15 other spots, and you know, I'm I'm guessing when that thing came out, you're thinking, "Wow, this could be a nice little, uh, you know, way to pave my way to a professional career." And you have played in a Corn Ferry Tour event in the past, so what did you possibly see out of that Corn Ferry event that you took with you moving into the rest of your collegiate career? 
it was it was fun. It, it was I mean it was in September, first week of September, I think. So no fans, no it was nothing it wasn't overwhelming, which was nice. You know, usually right. you know, it's just it just seemed like another college event to be honest. Just plus a couple people on the putting green that you watch on TV every once in a while. But um it was nice. It wasn't you know, I played okay, not not what I wanted to do, but um it was comforting to know that like uh it wasn't overwhelming. I could definitely see myself there. And uh it definitely added a little motivation just, you know, to try to get back there, hopefully once school's over. Now I know that you you know, obviously working with your coach, working, you know, obviously people that are supporting you at Rutgers, but I'm wondering, are there any people outside of the Rutgers family that you go to for you know, perhaps even professionals that you go to for advice or maybe some of the things you're trying to pick up and learn as you get closer to, you know, exploring a professional career. Um, you know, are there people that, you know, any pros that you've spoken to or any conversations that you've had that you think are going to help you? Yeah. So, uh, my, so I obviously have all the people at school and whatnot. So I, but I also work with, uh, this guy, Jason Birnbaum up in New York. Um, and he teaches a couple guys. And so one of his main guys is Roberto Diaz. Um, and so me and him have a group chat with Jason and we, you know, I get, I get a taste of the tour life with him. just talking to them. And uh, it's kind of nice just to hear things and hear what happens and whatnot. Um, and also my assistant coach who is now, uh, you know, back home, not working, but uh, he was Roberto Castro's brother. So I, I played with him and, you know, I bounce ideas off of them. Um, so it's nice to just get, you know, some actual real deal advice and lessons and whatnot. And those are people that, you know, you can trust cause they, they've seen it all. And, you know, um, they have some nice, nice stories to tell and, you know, lessons to give. So not to put you on the spot, but can you think of one of the stories that you can share? Well, we, I had, we had lunch with, uh, Castro and he was just talking about like, it's it's different when golf becomes like your job and he had a tough time dealing with like the pressure of, you know, I actually have to like feed my kids with this. Right. And he just said, you know, um, it took a while for him to get over that hump and like to, um, you know, kind of de-stress himself in the, those scenarios. And uh, once he did that, he started making, you know, the East Lake finals and whatnot. And he started playing really well. So it, he said it all takes time and you know if it's if it's meant to be it'll happen but if not you just you roll with the punches so it's nice to hear those guys who seem pretty much like uh immortal to kind of come back to reality a little bit and talk to, talk about that stuff absolutely no i think that's great because you're right i mean right now you're an amateur you're you're playing collegiately and you know the, the worst thing that happens if you uh you know have a bad tournament is maybe your ranking falls a little bit but uh you know you still got to roof over your head and you still got food on the table so you don't have to worry about those things quite yet yeah exactly i'm definitely not your average i would say i'm not your average like college golfer you know i i do things a little differently i'm i'm pretty relaxed and you know i have my crew that i that i deal with and it's uh it kind of brings me back to earth a little bit you know all we do is just we just make fun of each other and you know have fun and um it's nice to just, you know, have those, you know, clowns that you, you've been with for who, who knows how long to just, you know, mess around with. It sounds to me that you're, like you said, not the typical golfer. I'm guessing you don't want to talk about golf all the time. 
No, and that's, you know, it's funny you say that because whenever uh, we're playing in college events, me and coach, whoever's walking with me, we're talking football, we're talking whatever, just to keep my mind off, keep my mind off golf. And, uh, and you know, it gets it gets old after a while. You know, we just we talk about whatever fantasy and we're just messing around and talking highlights from the night before. It's just, you know, it, it's nice to it's nice to have a lot of things done to talk about other than just one thing that you do for pretty much a job. I'm guessing is golf even your favorite sport? <laughs> um, not to watch. That's for sure. Uh, I love, I love NHL. I love football. Uh, there's nothing better than a red zone Sunday, um, on the go. couch. Um, but you know, I, I, lo- I love golf, but it's, uh, it definitely doesn't have to be the only thing that I, you know, that I love. So, um, I try to find, I try to have other things that, you know, that I can have fun with and take my mind off, mind off golf for a little while. I'm guessing there now, I know you've been down here at some point, but I'm guessing that you've been to a top golf or a drive shack with your friends and just that had to be an entertaining, um, I'm guessing you've been to one of those, but that had to be entertaining when you're with friends that are not really golfers, but they could probably do a whole lot of damage at a place like that. Oh yeah. Well, we actually, so funny. So my roommate at school is not a golfer. And, um, so we have a deal with him. So we go play like the Rutgers golf course, which is like super short and we don't, we don't really play that much, but it's so much fun to go mess around with people that don't play golf. So we take him out there and we make him play. We all watch him and he's just freaking out and he can't see the back nine unless he breaks 55 on the front. And so he's like, you know, he's got to make a five on the last hole to shoot 55 and he just collapses in front of everyone. And so it's, it's funny just going to see all, all those guys play golf and they don't realize how, how hard it is. And it's funny to see them, uh, struggle and, you know, it's, it's just a good laugh. What are some of the best courses that you've played in the Northeast that, uh, I mean, you know, there's so many great tracks up there. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, whether it's Pine Valley, whether whether it's Philly Cricket or Trump Bedminster or, or anything in between. But what are perhaps people thinking, oh, the Northeast, it's cold, I don't want to go there. Uh, what are maybe some of the benefits of being up there, being so tied into the Met and, and also playing for Rutgers? I'm guessing you've yeah. had some pretty unique uh, circumstances and some neat experiences. Yeah, the nor- I mean, after traveling, I mean, I've seen a pretty good amount of the country by now. Um, there's no no one even comes close to touching Northeast golf. I mean, you got Westchester County, which has Wingfoot, Quaker Ridge, um, Westchester itself. Uh, and then you got New Jersey, which is Pine Valley's, uh, Somerset Hills, Plainfield, Baltistrol. And we, uh, at school, we actually have really good, this is a, largely in fact the coach, but, um, we have really good relationships with them. So we'll go play Somerset on like a Tuesday morning. Um, we go play Baltistrol, uh, so we have a really good gig going at school, but my favorites, I played Pine Valley a couple times. Um, it's all time good. Um, Friars head is probably my favorite. Um, we went out there last summer and it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, Balta straw is my fit. The new, the new Balta straw looks unbelievable too. If you, I don't know if you've seen pictures of it or not, but I have not. They so the lower they redid all the bunkering and it looks it's really good. They added sub air too. Um, 
there's just so many it's hard to you know i could go on for 20 minutes about all the courses and but um trump edminster is really good and there's so many and i i I just like, I love coming back home and especially when a tournament's hosted anywhere, um, especially like the Met, you know, the Met Ams at Plainfield next summer. So um, it's just nice to be home and play all these cool places and, you know, see people you run into often at these places. And it's just a nice, you know, it's like a, I don't know, not a fraternity, but like there's a bunch of people that all know each other and are very friendly. Now, speaking of everyone knowing each other and being friendly, um, I don't know why this popped into my head. Well, actually, you, you brought this up previously, but one of the key components of a um, fun and successful college experience is your housing, where you're living, who you're living with. And and you told me that you have quite an interesting setup as far as where you are staying at Rutgers. Oh, yeah. We got the, we this is this is a well planned out. Uh, this is a well oiled machine at school. So at Rutgers, it's kind of unique. Um, off-campus housing is like it's basically a bunch of neighborhoods that um of college kids and it's kind of a shit show but it's it's a lot of fun um and so we we rented a house from this guy who happens to be the owner of the liquor store and it's about 20 steps across the street from our front door oh my um, God. so so you know, we wake up on Saturday morning when it's game day and, you know, just walk over there looking all terrible, but, uh, <laughs> and, you know, get the day, get the day started. But, um, it's, 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 uh, it's been a lot of fun. How the hell are you guys academically eligible and how do you lose 50, 50 pounds living across from a liquor store? Um, well, it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have the answer to that one, but, um we do it somehow someone's got to do it so yeah yeah. and you guys are all like well you guys are all like white claw guys and white wines and no 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 oh i'm sorry no no white claw no none of that garbage you can't drink white claw i I can't imagine anyone in jersey proudly drinking a white claw unless you're like a no it's like it's you gotta be you gotta have especially at college you gotta eat i mean it's got to be a little gritty at, yeah. some, at some point. You can't just, you know, no, no, when no. I'm home, maybe when I'm home, maybe at a nicer place, you know, you, you upscale it a little bit, yeah, but there's there you nothing go. you get. You got to have, you know, the, the plastic bottled vodka or whatever. It's just got to, it's got to happen at some point. Chris, it was fun seeing you at, uh, at Merido during the, I mean, I, I love that story about you seeing people just like leave and you're like, Oh, perfect. This is, I'm home. This is great. So, <laughs> I love that story. I love the fact, like I said, um, you know, Jersey guy staying home and, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm going to see you down the road in 2021. So, um, you know, stay healthy and uh, best of luck to you. And uh, we'll see you out there. Thanks for stopping by the back of the range. Thank you for having me. And there you have it. Special thanks to Chris Goderup for being the first guest of 2021 here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. That's where you can find the merch. That's where you can find hats and towels and t-shirts. It's all there waiting for you. So, Happy New Year to you all. We'll see you again next time here at the Back of the Range.